Kings 14, we have Jeroboam's son is sick, right? So he tells his wife, go see the prophet. The prophet is blind. But when Jeroboam's wife walks in, immediately the prophet says, there's a little bit of good in your son. But the minute you get back to the city, he will die. And he will be the only one who has a proper burial. Because everyone else in your family will be eaten by the dogs or the birds. <laughs> so, so Jeroboam does die. And it's so sad that Jeroboam dies like this. Firstly, he reigns for 22 years. So it's not like if people are, if one king's worse than another, he's going to die sooner. That, that's not true in this case, not with the kings. So he reigns for 22 years, but he is so fearful of the people in the north going back to worship in the south when the people in the south aren't worshiping the lord either like neither neither the north or the south are worshiping the lord so jeroboam does horrific things and introduces israel to horrific things even though god appointed him so in other words he had the choice to do good but he chose fear and did evil so he doesn't even have a proper burial, but he does reign for 22 years. His son Nadab takes over for only two years. And then Basha comes up. This is 1 Kings 15. And Basha kills all of Jeroboam's sons. And he's not criticized for it. Actually, the scriptures say, just like God said would happen. So isn't that amazing that Basha would kill all of Jeroboam's sons, just like God said. So then God gives Basha the same prophecy, though, and basically says, you're not a good king either, so your sons aren't going to take your throne either. But Basha still reigned. 24 years so here jeroboam's a horrible king he reigns 22 years then basha kills all of jeroboam's line so that they can't take the kingdom again and basha reigns 24 years and god says the same thing to him now all your your sons will die too because you are not a good king so it ends up going down to zimri to omri and then we get Ahab. And Ahab is married to Jezebel. And Ahab is the bulk of the story of this week. Could he, even Elijah and Elisha are under King Ahab. So King Ahab, this is the story of the northern kingdom. So we've been moving forward day by day. And that's kind of where we are. We have Ahab, who's from the line of Omri, and he is king married to Jezebel. In the southern kingdom, Jeroboam took the north after Solomon split. Rehoboam took the south. And in the south, uh, Rehoboam's son, Abijam, became king for a short period of time. And then after him, Asa. Asa is a good king and his son was jehoshaphat and jehoshaphat and josiah are known as the best kings 
in the southern kingdom. Okay, so we're going to watch uh, just a little bit about Asa. Asa took over the throne of the southern kingdom the 20th year that Jeroboam was reigning. And Jeroboam only reigns for 22 years. So Asa was the new kid on the block in the south for two years with Jeroboam. Asa started noticing, so he's the new kid for two years with Jeroboam, and then Jeroboam dies, and it ends, the kingdom ends up going to Basha, right? But Asa started noticing that Basha was not good to Asa. So what Asa did was he made a covenant with the king of Syria, whose name was Ben-Hadad. So we have three kings here. We have Basha in the northern kingdom, who took over from Jehoshaphat, I mean from Jeroboam. We have Asa in the southern kingdom, and then Syria is like over here, like to the right, like, like, uh, and that was not reigned by any Jewish people. So that was Syria, and the king of Syria lived in Damascus, which we know later in Jesus' time, Damascus was in Israel, and his name was Ben-Hadad. And Asa makes a covenant with Ben-Hadad to go against Basha in the northern kingdom. Okay, Asa reigns for 41 years, and he fights with Basha, his Jewish brother. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Thank you. There's the map, Northern Kingdom, and then the Southern Kingdom, and there's Moab. You see how she is Moab right there? Moab becomes a big deal, the king of Moab. And then where's the king? Where is Syria on that map? Charlene, where do you see? Do you see Syria? It's up. It's up to the north. Okay, so Syria was up above Israel. Okay, that's good to know. All right, so it was to the west above Israel. That's why Basha was constantly fighting with Ben Hadad because Basha was trying to take over the northern kingdom. So Asa said, "I'm not going to put up with this." All right. So what happens next? Ben-Hadad, he gets to the point of controlling Ahab. Okay, so Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. He's in covenant with the southern kingdom down here and Asa. But Ben-Hadad has so much strength, he starts taking over right here. Okay, he starts taking over Ahab's territory. And he first says, give me your money. And Ahab says, okay. Then he says, give me all your wives and give me all your children. And Ahab says, that's too much. No. So a prophet comes out and says to Ahab, you're going to go to war with Ben-Hadad and you're going to win. So Ahab goes to war with Ben-Hadad. Ahab wins. But Ben-Hadad isn't dead. Ben-Hadad escaped. So the prophet came back to Ahab at that time and said, 
be careful because in the spring, you're going to see him again. You're going to see Ben-Hadad again in the spring. Now I want to find the scriptures of this part because this is what I actually wanted to talk about tonight. It's harder to find it in the yearly Bible. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Here it is. Okay. So the spring does come back. And now in the spring, Benadad is again at war with Ahab. He wants to take the northern kingdom away from Ahab. Ahab has just a small amount of people. And Benadad has tons, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But God says to Ahab, you're going to win, but just be sure to completely kill Ben-Hadad. So Ahab wins, Ben-Hadad escapes, and his counselors say to Ben-Hadad, but the Israeli kings are merciful. Let's just say that we're brothers. So Ben-Hadad says, I'm your brother. And Ahab says, oh, you're my brother. You can live. And as a result of that, a prophet comes out and says to Ahab, now you're going to die by the hand of Benadad. Because you didn't listen, and he is not good. He is not your brother. And he needed to die for the evil that he has done to the northern kingdom. So even though Ahab isn't good, Benadad is worse. Okay, that's the point. <laughs> so the third time around now, Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, who's now king of the southern kingdom and who is a good king, he says to Jehoshaphat, I'm tired of all this abuse I'm getting from Ben-Hadad. And he's trying to take Ramath Gilead from me, and that should be mine, because I made a covenant with him, and he's not sticking true to his word. So I want to go to war against the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And Jehoshaphat says, great, let's go. Let's go to war. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Let's go. So the prophets come out, and the prophets are just talking trash. They're saying, oh, yeah, you're going to win. You're going to beat the king of Syria. Yeah, yeah, go to war. And Jehoshaphat finally says, is there not a king who worships our God here? And Ahab says, yeah, there is one, but he never says anything good about me. So Jehoshaphat says, well, I want to hear from him. So the king comes, the prophet comes, and at first says the same thing everybody else says. Yeah, 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 you're going to win. And Ahab says, I want to know the truth. And he says, well, the truth is you're going to die. And if you don't die, then I'm not a prophet but you should have killed Ben-Hadad in the spring when you were warned by the other prophet and you didn't. So now you're going to die. So Ahab is so bold that he asks King Jehoshaphat to dress in his clothing so that if Ben-Hadad is looking for Ahab, they would think it's Jehoshaphat to kill Jehoshaphat instead of Ahab. But when Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord, he's spared 
and randomly an arrow gets shot in the air and lands right in between the breastplate of Ahab and Ahab dies. So that's where Ahab dies, just like the prophet said. And then I thought it was interesting that the next king that took over from Ahab was one of Ahab's sons and Jehoshaphat did not go into business with him, which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, he learned, he learned at that time. The other thing that was interesting with Ahab is Naboth's vineyard. Wasn't that a sad story that Ahab was saying, I want that vineyard. And Naboth said, you can't have my family's vineyard. This is my heritage. This belongs to me. I can't give that to you. It's, it's mine. It's been passed down to my family. And Ahab sulks and pouts. And his wife Jezebel says, don't worry, I'll get it for you. And has Naboth killed. And then Ahab's all happy. I've got the vineyard. I've got the vineyard. <laughs> And then the next thing you know, Elijah comes to Ahab and says, you sinner, look what you did. Uh, consequences are coming on you. And Ahab literally repents. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, did you see how Ahab repented? I mean, the Lord just, I mean, even someone as horrible as Ahab, who's married to Jezebel, when our hearts turn back to the Lord, it makes the Lord so happy that he says, Elijah, go tell Ahab, because you repented, it won't happen in your lifetime. It'll happen in one of your sons. <laughs> it's the honest thing, but that's because we look at our lifetime as being so important when God looks at it as the generations of our life are important. Like the fruit of generations is what God looks at, not just our little impact, but the impact we made on others and the choices we made that cause other people to sin, which brings up the politics in America today and where we've ended up. But that is another note for another time. Okay. And then the new, in the New Testament. Okay, so no, I'm not done. So now we're done with kind of talking about the kings, and I want to go into talking about Elijah and Elisha. Now, both Elijah and Elisha are prophets called to the northern kingdom. Now, why are they called to the northern kingdom? Because the southern kingdom, the king was good and worshipped God. So they're called to the northern kingdom to speak against what the kings are doing and to have some sort of truth that represents God. So you always see kind of a remnant that represents God when times get very bad, okay? So Elijah does miraculous things. But like he says, I'm just as bad as my father's. I get just as fearful. So even though these great things happen, it can stop raining for years. I can kill all the prophets, 480 of them at one time. I can have fire come down from heaven and consume the water. I can pray and the rain will stop after seven times of interceding. But if one queen says, you're dead, I go on a 40-day run, scared to death that I'm going to be dead. So he basically says to God, just let me die. I'm no better than anybody else. Let me die. And God says to him twice, why are you here, Elijah? Like, what are you doing running from Jezebel? Why are you here? 
And Elijah says, I'm all alone. He says the same thing. I'm all alone. I can't do this all alone. And I just want to die. I've studied these passages a lot. And I have noticed that God tells Elijah to do three things. Anoint this king, <clears throat> then anoint that king, and then go get Elisha. And Elisha will be your friend. And Elijah skips the first two and goes right to the third. <laughs> gets Elisha, and in time, Elisha anoints the first king and the second king. So Elisha ends up doing what Elijah just doesn't want to do anymore. He's tired, he's depressed, he doesn't want to do it. Now, Elisha does get a double anointing from Elijah, and he probably needed it because he didn't have any friends either. I mean, his one friend is, I don't know if you read today, but his one friend is Gehazi, who's his servant, and here his servant is like, like, what do you mean you're going to send Naaman away, who's from the king of Syria, who is offering us clothes and money and food, and you're saying no? How can you say no? Look how we live. We have to live off of widows. <laughs> and Elisha literally curses Gehazi, for going and asking for just one talent of silver and just two bundles of clothes, one probably for Gehazi the servant and one for Elijah. And Elijah basically says, you lied to me, so now you're going to get the leprosy that I just healed from him. I just thought, oh gosh, Lord, nobody wants to be friends with a prophet. You know, like nobody wants that. I mean, no wonder why prophets didn't have any friends. No wonder why, like, Elijah's complaining he had no friends and Elisha's complaining. I mean, even Elijah said... If I'm a prophet of God, let you all be dead. And twice the fire from heaven fell and killed 50 people at one time. But the third guy who shows up says, please, please, don't kill me. Please, please, I worship God too. Don't kill me. I mean, I, it's not nice being friends with prophets, especially in the Northern Kingdom, because the outpouring of the Spirit is so great. And Bobby brought up a good point that Elisha even fed you know, the multitudes, he healed the water, that the whole city could drink water. He healed the stew, that the prophets could eat the stew. Like, he healed the dead son that he predicted would come, and then he healed him by laying on him seven times, and the boy sneezes. I mean, so these prophets have the same power as Jesus. And we know that Elijah and Moses both showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So these are people who really walked with God and really had the gifts of signs and wonders. And I was saying to Bobby that during one of the days, we had Elijah and Elisha doing signs and wonders in the Northern Kingdom. At the same time, we had Paul and Barnabas doing signs and wonders and preaching in the New Testament. Like they, it was happening at the same days. The interesting thing to me was the signs and wonders in the Old Testament didn't really impact the kings. It impacted the godly people, but didn't impact the kings. In the New Testament, it made a statement to the kings and to the religious people and to everyone because the signs and wonders were proof that the sermons were true, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And then that impacted 
all of Israel and outside of Israel as the Gentiles even came to Jesus. So signs and wonders were used to prove that what Paul and Barnabas were preaching were of God. So very mm -hmm. different. Okay. So that's all I was going to say about the Old Testament. And that's all I was really going to say about the New Testament. The only thing I thought was very interesting today was in the proverb. What's today's date? The 23rd, right? Mm -hmm. In the proverb. And I thought this was interesting. I just thought if I was going to do a sermon, I would probably do it on this. In the proverb, there's a verse that says, talked about busying yourself. Where is that? Bobby. Is it the proverb or is it it's the, in the psalm? No, it's in the psalm. Number, verse uh, 141, verse 4. 141, verse 4. Verse 4 says, in the psalm, do not, do, not let my do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Okay? That word busy myself is the same word that the prophet spoke against Ahab for not killing Ben-Hadad. So June 19th, it was uh, 1 Kings, it's on page 629, but June 19th, 1 Kings 20, 1 Kings 20, verse 40. So the prophet is pretending that he's hurt. He had somebody strike him and he's pretending he's hurt on the side of the road and King Ahab is coming up and verse, let's start at verse 38. So if you're on June 19th, first Kings 20 verse 38. So Ahab has already let Ben-Hadad go by saying, oh, you're my brother, you're my brother. Oh, yeah, it's all good. Let's make a covenant. Okay. Verse 38. So the prophet departed and waited for King Ahab, really, by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried to the king and said, your servant went out in the midst of a battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, it's the same word. That busy word is the same word as the one in the Psalm today. Busy with wickedness, busy doing nothing that counts for the kingdom of God is what, it really means. He said he was gone. And King Ahab of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Like in other words, because you, that, and really the prophecy is, because Ahab was busy and not preparing for the war in the spring against Ben-Hadad, he did not say to kill Ben-Hadad like he was instructed to do. He was busy doing other things that he let Ben-Hadad live. So as a result, this prophet is saying to Ahab, because you busied yourself with things that didn't matter and didn't follow the Lord, your life will now be taken 
because Ben Haddad's life you didn't take. That's so intense. And I had I had actually been thinking about that word busy yourself because I love to be busy. Like I love, I love having things to do. I love being busy. I love having a, a schedule and checking off the list and having little tasks and check, check, check. And, uh, and I do pray every day, you know, Lord, whatever is not of you, please get rid of. But there are times of just emptiness that I got to fill it with something. Just to be busy, to cross it off. And that is basically what God is saying here that Ben had dad, I mean, Ahab didn't realize that him just trying to be busy being the king actually costs his life. So we got to take those things seriously that we do want to offer forgiveness. We do want to say, oh, you're my brother. Oh, I forgive you. Oh, it's all fine. But if God says that person's, that dog is never going to turn into a cat. So be sure to kill the dog. We have to be, we have to be mindful of God's commands to us so that it doesn't end up destroying us out of our own busyness of not hearing what the Lord was really saying. So if I was going to do a sermon, it would be on that word busy because I've heard a, a pastor say once, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So we got to make sure that we stay before the Lord, honoring the Lord, that we don't somehow hurt ourselves. And then in the New Testament, I liked these verses from Acts 15, verse 27, so June 23rd. And what happened was so many people were coming to Jesus that the Jewish part of Judaism was becoming really small and they didn't know how much of Judaism needed to go into Christianity. So it was Paul and Barnabas who said, we've just watched the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it doesn't matter if they're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if they're not eating kosher food. It does, none of these other things matter. It doesn't matter if they're not keeping the Sabbath because they're in love with Jesus every day. Like none of these things matter. Jesus is showing up. And so these people, the Jewish, the, the Jewish religious people wanted to make the Gentiles coming to Jesus Jewish too. So when Barnabas and Paul go back to Jerusalem, they say to the people, the elders of the church, the apostles who started the whole Christian church, the Gentiles need encouragement that they're not sinning because they're not getting circumcised and they're not eating Jewish food. And they're not following all the Sabbath rules and they're not doing all these things. They need to know you guys see them as believers too. And I thought, gosh, me being a woman minister, there have been times that I have just wanted to hear uh, people in the church or uh, a pastor or actually like grant me that kind of fellowship. Like, yeah, the Lord is on you. I mean, even when the when I didn't, I didn't even realize I was quote the leader of the revivals, you know. But here I was, the leader of the revivals. But never was I encouraged to even consider going into ministry as a full-time profession because my own church didn't even encourage me for evangelizing because I was a woman. 
And I was just a, a 15 year old woman. I wasn't even a woman yet, you know? I mean, so I totally understood what the Gentiles were asking. They were asking for like, like the apostles approval that they're saved too. And I love how it's written in verse 27 the main apostles of the church in Jerusalem says, verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, so two people who started the Christian church from Jerusalem to the Jews, we're sending these two brothers who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So they said, these are just the basic things we want you to do that are going to remain with Judaism. Abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols. From blood, like don't eat, don't drink the blood. Or from anything that's been strangled. And from sexual immorality. So he said, they said, everything else is fine. So all those laws that Moses wrote out in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, now the apostles are saying, because of Saul and Barnabas, you don't need to follow them. You just follow Jesus. That's called grace. Hmm. That is what grace is. Grace is we don't have to follow all these prerequisites to follow Jesus and to be loved by Jesus and to be approved by Jesus and other people. And those things that are even written don't, you know, do we even deal with food sacrifice to idols now? No. And do we know not to drink blood still? Yes. And do we know that sexual immorality is bad for the person themselves? Absolutely. So, so, so these are just principles that God established from the beginning of time. It wasn't because Moses had them written down. You know, these are just things that are necessary for a healthy, functional life. And uh, so then it says, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's all we have to say. That's our sermon. You're all good. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Isn't that nice? Like, don't we all need encouragement? You know, I mean, even Paul needed encouragement when he first got saved that the apostles were going to accept him. We all need encouragement no matter where we are. And the people were so happy. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words and after that, they spent some time and they were sent off by peace to the brothers who had sent them. So then they went back to Jerusalem. So I just thought that was such a nice way to end the day. Right there with, you know, there's no extra burden put on us to follow Jesus. If we love Jesus, we're doing good. That's all that matters. Okay, you want to say anything? Okay. Okay, so let's start with the Old Testament. Any thoughts? Charlene. I, I like the story about, I guess it's Nahaman or Naaman or yeah. whatever. Naaman. He, yeah, he, 
he wanted to be healed, so he writes the king, and the king says, you know, why are you bothering me? But then he gets the instructions to what he's supposed to do. The prophet just told him, you know, to go and, and dip in the water seven times. But I said, people do that today. There's no magnificent, he didn't come out and wave his hand, lay hand on him and pray and make a spectacle. He just told him to go and, and bathe seven times and you would be healed. And he wasn't going to go, Naaman wasn't going to do that. He was just, forget that. I'm not, if I wasn't going to get notoriety, I'm not going to get healed. I don't forget this. Well, luckily he had supporters. <laughs> he had a support group <laughs> and told him to go do it. And when he did it, he was healed. Yeah, that is a great story. And Bobby said today that it was interesting that Naaman had a dip seven times because of Elisha's commands and the boy sneezed seven, seven times. times. Yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't even like make the connection today. I found that in the past, but it, it didn't hit me this time. I thought that was good though. Yeah, the seven. That's good. Thanks, Charlene. Awesome. All right, anybody else? I do. Yeah, Kathy. Oh, I can't see if I'm blocked. Um, I thought it was interesting when uh, Jeroboam is sick that he sent his wife in disguise, but I didn't understand why she was disguised. And after she was told, you know, she was um, told that he knew who she was. And he told her as soon as she entered the city that her son would die. And I wondered if she even considered not going home. I know I thought that too. I thought, well, you have to remember they, she didn't probably even know who, was it Elijah? Yeah, Elijah was. Like the king said, go find this prophet. And this prophet, Elijah, did not like Ahab, not Ahab, Jeroboam at all. It wasn't even Elijah. It was the blind prophet, Abijah. Right. He didn't, they had prophets in the northern kingdom to keep telling the king how wrong they were. Like, return to the Lord. So finally, you know, Jeroboam says, I really need to hear from God on this because God's the one who did anoint me years ago. So he sends his wife in disguise because Jeroboam did not live up to anything that God had instructed him to do at all. So he had his wife be disguised as if if she was disguised, maybe the prophet would give a better outcome than knowing it was. Yeah. But you can't fool the Lord, even if the prophet is blind. I've got this timeline thing. Yes. And it has them all that. And no matter how much I study it and have had studied it and listened and taught from it, I still can't remember. <laughs> it just goes right down the line. Northern and Southern Kingdom. I love that. Where'd you get that, Charlene? Uh, I got it from Lifeway uh, in, in Southern Baptist when I was the adult Sunday school director. They wrote it. Yeah, they wrote it um, differently. Well, yeah. Well, it, it's quite a much bigger because it was it was <laughs> it was used as a training aid, and yeah. I could put it up on the board. But so it's a little hard to look at it on on <laughs> Zoom. But like I say, even even looking at it and teaching from it, and it, it's still confusing. Yeah, it, 
these these parts of scripture are so confusing because they're talking about the northern kingdom and then what happens and then the southern kingdom and it's mm -hmm. great right sherry each day as i've been reading in the, the old testament i mean i'm just at all i just tell mark oh my goodness how amazing our god is each story about the oil and, and the widow and the one that was giving him, and then she got a baby. That's the only thing she wanted from him. I mean, every day, what an awesome God we have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, just amazes me every day. It just starts your day out so, you just feel so good. And you just want to serve him each day when you read this. I mean, you really grasp what the, the Lord has done. And then I kind of wonder sometimes, are there any prophets right now or no? Yeah, we have people who have the gift of prophecy and are prophets. Now, yeah. Um, some churches, like some of the Baptist churches would say no, that that all stopped, like John MacArthur said, that stopped. But it hasn't stopped. We still have people that push the gospel forward. So right now we're dealing with issues in the church, and there will be prophets that come up and push that problem forward, the things of God. So absolutely, but I'm glad you brought up the uh, two widows mm -hmm. because um, those two widows, one from Elijah, right? That the, after the water dried up and then he went to a widow's house and took, she took care of him, even though she was the widow. And then also Elisha and the widow with the son, she gave the widow the son and then that son died, and he brought it back to life. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus was coming out of the wilderness in Luke 4, he brings up these two widows. When he is reading from the scriptures, and Jesus says to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it was a scripture of, The, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news, to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Okay? And then Jesus says, uh, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And then he says, I and this is verse 20, Luke 4, 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zapharatha in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they wanted to throw them off the cliff. So what Jesus was saying was, here Jesus comes out of the fast for 40 days and 40 nights, opens up the scroll and says, today salvation has come, today I am anointed to bring liberty to captives and freedom to uh, slaves and the eyes of the blind to see. And then he says, but you people, you Jews will not accept me. And you know why I know that? 
because Elijah could have gone to a lot of Jewish widows, but he didn't go to a Jewish widow. He went to a Gentile widow. And Elisha could have gone to many Jewish widows, but he didn't go to a Jewish widow. He too went to a Gentile widow. And not only that, but Elisha healed the servant of Syria, not anyone who was Jewish of leprosy. So Jesus was saying, you are not going to accept my gospel and my healing any more than they accepted Elijah and Elisha. So he was basically saying exactly what we're seeing in Acts. The gospel will go to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? So I'm glad you brought that up, Sherry, because the exact area of scripture we're reading in the Old Testament is what Jesus addressed the day he said, I am the one who will set the captives free. Pretty cool. Okay. Anybody else? Any comments? Any thoughts? All right. Well, I love this. I love this area of scripture. I love reading about Elijah and Elisha and even the kings. And we'll continue in this. And then as we start we're in Second Kings now, and then when we start Chronicles, we're going to feel like we're rereading so many things, um, and we will be, but it's just from a different perspective. So that's where, like, uh, people who teach it, they fill in the gaps of, of the kings with the Chronicles or the Chronicles with the kings, you know, because we get a fuller picture of it as we keep reading. But throughout the whole thing, just know that signs and wonders today are really for people to believe in Jesus. So it should be associated with preaching of the gospel. And, um, and Paul's going to start writing most of the New Testament to all these little churches that he's visiting right now. And what he's basically doing is explaining grace because the New Testament is filled with the Gentile people confused by what the Jewish people are saying to them about religion. So that's why the New Testament is written so much to the Gentile churches because they needed the encouragement because the Jews were walking around with so much pride that they were, now they had Jesus too, who was a Jew. So now these Gentiles need to become Jewish. Hmm. That, and Paul said, no, that's not true. And that's how we got first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Like that's how we got all these books <laughs> because of that teaching. And it's all coming from Acts. So as we follow Paul's journey, we will see Ephesians. And then that's the book of Ephesians. And we'll see that he went to, you know, uh, the land of um, uh, Galate, Galatia, or, you know, Galatians. Galatia. Yes. Thank you, Charlie. And so we'll see all those places in Acts. And then later we actually get to read the books that when Paul's either in prison or on his other missionary journeys, he's writing letters sent back to those churches to encourage them. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm.